This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1708, Previews. I'm Brian Chrisman. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Everly, Beneath the Sea. <laughs> beneath the Sea? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, you're, 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 you're not bearing witness doing, to... Is he doing this to swim? Uh, actually, Migo Aquaman is... Uh, oh! Well, we have one over there on, on our studio his, uh, shelf as well. Shaking and shimmying over there, yeah? Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, see, this is the Earth 2 Migo Aquaman. Ah, Okay. <laughs> All right, well, welcome to the show. Uh, this is going to be our previews episode where we go through the catalog. In this case, it's the August 2018 previews catalog for items shipping to stores mostly beginning in October of this year. And as an added bonus to you, since it's tough for us to always get together sometimes, we're going to try to throw in some recent-ish comic talk specifically on uh, X-Men Gold number 30 before we go to Marvel. And Batman 50 before we go to do before we go to DC. Blah, before we go to DC. So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Forewarned is forearmed. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Comic Geek Speak is brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. Where when you pre-order from them, any DC Marvel Dark Horse or Image Books, they are right away 40% off the cover price. Most other publishers between 20 and 35% off the cover price. And they do have many specials where they could be uh, 45, 50, 60, even up to 75% off cover price. They continue their wonderful program where any new DC and Marvel hardcover or trade is half off cover price. They also are continuing to run many different bundles where they put like titles together for one low price, including this bundle, which caught my eye as being, wow, out of there. Not out of there, it's just way crazy. A DC Universe bundle. All new DC books half off when you buy them as a bundle. Now, it's, wow. a, it's a lot of them. Uh, it's a total of 50 books. Uh, for half price comes to 107, uh, includes all the new books from from DC. So, I mean, so that's a savings of over a hundred dollars. That's that's what I'm trying to say here. I'm the bigger the bundle, the bigger the bargain. Yeah. So uh, also they have like other bundles with um, uh, variants, uh, the new heroes, DC Kids bundle. So they run the bundles, and they offer bags and boards for your books. Um, you can get your books shipped weekly, uh, twice monthly, or monthly. Uh, and we've used them for such a long time. They're wonderful. They will let you add things on you may have forgotten. Like if you forgot to add a previews, <laughs> you can always add your previews. Which, by the way, is 75% off. It's only 99 cents when you order through DCBS. So if you haven't already done so, please check them out. DCB, ah, yeah, discount comic book service at DCBService.com. Capital, Pansy, capital. <laughs> capital. <Top-ho. laughs> Pardon me while I take a lovely beverage here. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Are you refreshed? I, I am refreshed. <laughs> uh, um, uh, just a, a, a word about about uh, about my head and everything, so forth, right now, because I'm I'm really lately I've been noticing I haven't really been ordering a whole lot of books uh, and even reading fewer books. So for me to be on the previous catalog it's episodes, it's more of a just hey, I want to talk to you guys about books and so forth. So I hope I am not a uh, negative Nancy or uh, you know like a cranky pants or whatever. <laughs> Um, I'll try my best, um, but these are always fun to discuss about things we might not always be buying, but things that we do find interesting or so forth. Absolutely. As always, we go off in tangents on many of those topics. Hopefully, we try to keep it related to the topic at hand of going through the new catalog here. Uh, does that make sense here? Did I go off to tour of the tangent no, there? No, of course. It's, well, right, it, just, it underlies our – it's a sort of a mission statement for these previews episodes in general. Yeah, because I, I already placed my order like a week ago for this month, and – uh, I did order uh, uh, a new board game. There's a new DC deck builder in here. Mm. And uh, the title of it is? Uh, it's DC Confrontation Sinestro and Green Lantern. Mm. Um, that was $13. So if you take that out of my order, my order is under $20 for the month. Mm. Yeah. So and that includes a previews catalog, which is, which is already a dollar. So I'm not buying a whole lot of books. So it's the catalog and the board game and, like, two comics. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, no. Taking out the game. It's twenty dollars. If I add the game, it's thirty-two dollars. Mm, okay. Okay. Did I, did I did I misspeak there, or, uh, or maybe I just well, uh, no, miscalculated? I have to listen to that again. Yeah, well, I have a degree in math, so I could have screwed that up. Anyway, enough about that. Let's jump into the catalog. Where do we start here, guys? Because there's a separate catalog now for DC and for Marvel, uh, and it starts now with Image. So I'll leave it up to you guys where you want to start. Uh, the last few times we've done this, we've started with with Image. Okay. So Which, yeah, we should also we should also note prior to that, it, they, you know, they're showing all the Halloween Comic Fest books. Yes. Um, that, that are going to be available full sized and mini comics, uh, beginning on page uh, twenty nine. So if you if you're going to want to support your local shop, if you're going to be participating uh, in this promotion, you get a sense here of what what's going to be offered. Yes, yeah, Saturday, so. October twenty seventh. It's I guess the. Six-month counterpart to free comic book day. Basically. Exactly, yeah. Uh, sure that's what the event was conceived to be. Yes. So hopefully your, your store participates and can get me a new mouth. Uh, um, <laughs> but all right, let's go into uh, to image then, general I think people. New mouths are in the swag section at the back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Mer, it, it, you never know exactly what's in the swag section. That's part of the fun of exploring it. <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a pants mouth trademark pants. Uh, Available. You never know. It'll be a All right, image. Top figurine always, based on go that. ahead, Mert. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was, I was just wising off, Chris. Please go ahead. <laughs> um, what I was going to note uh, right away was because I love the artist on page 44, Dead Rabbit number one. Uh, John McRae, who of course I loved his work on the classic uh, in his series Hitman. Oh yes. And writing by uh, Jerry Duggan. Now Jerry Duggan is the guy who took over Thanos, right, Mert? Uh, among other things, I think he did yeah. some Deadpool for a while there. Yeah, he's also a well-known comedy writer, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think maybe the, I'm sure he's written a Thanos story at some point. But I think the one who took over um, after uh, was, was it Lemire? After he Lemire, left? Yeah. yeah, I think I think that was Donny Cates. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, let me read the solicitation. Back in the 90s, Dead Rabbit was a prolific Boston stick-up man and hoodlum until he took down one last big score and disappeared. Nobody ever discovered the truth. He retired with the love of his life. Now he's back in the mass to save her, but no one, not his wife, the mafia, the cops, is happy that he's out of retirement. I, I, I love the concept. Of, I mean I love John McRae's artwork. It's, it's great to see uh, 
him, you know, getting work because certainly he deserves. It. He's, a, he's an outstanding artist. So I may give this a shot. Right. The involvement of weed, Johnny McRae appeals to me too, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it's a uh, series with a costumed thief as a protagonist. So that's uh, that, that. That appeals to me also. And uh, the Boston setting, we might even be able to sell a copy to Matt. Through that. That's right. And if you go to page 47, they give you a splash page of that masked thief. So this this looks like it could be a, a good read. So that's on page uh, 44. Where do you want to say anything about Blackbird number one on page 40? Um, it's uh, singing in the dead of night. <laughs> it's taking these broken wings and learning to fly. Uh, no, no, not really. I, I kind of like the look of the artwork. Uh, it's uh, very uh, oh, uh, glossy and stylized. It, it reminds me a little of uh, uh, The Wicked Plus the Divine. Um, on the surface of it, it uh, reminds me a little of uh, the presentation of Paper Girls. So if you're a fan of those series, visually at least, this might also appeal to you. Uh, it uh, has to do with uh, a woman who's uh, in search of a hidden underworld of magic and uh, a war between factions in that underworld that threatens uh, the existence of Los Angeles and the world beyond. Problem is everybody thinks she's crazy whenever she tries to mention her theories about this, uh, which are more than theories because she's interacted directly with these magical actors and uh, – but she's kind of on her own to uh, quell whatever uh, uh, conflicts are arising in this, this hidden world of magic. Yes, and uh, any similarities to the uh, DC Comics character created by the Benson sisters of the same name is completely coincidental. <laughs> I wanted to jump ahead for a moment to page 52, Infinite Dark Number what page? 1. Uh, pants, you know what? <laughs> I failed you just then. <laughs> wait, wait, let, let, let's... Let me, let me let me jump in the space time continuum device. <laughs> Fifty two. <laughs> wow! Wow! Okay. Space time mulligans are allowable <laughs> by tournament rules. I wasn't aware of that fact. <laughs> so the reason why I wanted to bring up Infinite Dark Number One on page fifty two, okay. short version, <laughs> is that the artist is Andrea Moody, whose work I loved on the Rebels series. Uh, about the uh, the era around the American Revolution, before and, and during and after the Revolution, that was written by Brian Woods. I'm thrilled to see uh, this artwork again. Uh, I'm going to look at the solicitation here. The universe ended, but on board the Void Station Orpheus, a skeleton crew of humanity survived. The last 2,000 souls waiting for a second big bang that may never come. Now, two years into their voyage, security director uh, Diva Carell investigates the station's first murder and the otherworldly motives behind it. Okay. Sounds like maybe uh, you got a combination of, of a apocalyptic uh, future combined with uh, noir and space. So I'm going to definitely check this out. And the artwork looks fantastic. Uh, interesting on page 54, Juke Joint, writer T. Franklin, artist uh, Aletha E. Martinez, uh, a, a timely horror series from the Deep South. Mahalia runs the hottest spot in the 1950s New Orleans. The Juke Joint keeps the jazz popping, people bopping, and the women. The women are to die for. There's only one rule, keep your hands to yourself. But some men think rules don't apply to them, and Mahalia and her coven of slain women enjoy her mind that they most certainly do. Interesting concept. I like the artwork. Again, Image has the most diverse uh, offerings in the American comic book medium today. As we always said, there's definitely something for everyone when it, when it comes to your reading taste if you go through the, their section of the catalog. 
Well, since Image is kind enough to front-load all of the uh, new titles introduced every month at the beginning of their section of the catalog, and there always are quite a few of them, again, as you said, Chris, it's just a diversity in volume from Image month after month, um, I think that about covers it. Um, I mean, there, there's a on page 59, there is a Halloween special from the uh, Witches series uh, brought to us by writer Scott Snyder and artist Jock. Uh, so that's a pre-existing series, and uh, this... Uh, apparently, this is uh, like a standalone one issue, volume number one point five, in between volumes one and two of Witches. Uh, so, just something to wet your witch's whistle. Uh, and, uh, wet your witch's whistle. Why not? It's eighty pages, and it's released on October thirty first. For heard that uh, alliteration rolled out as smooth as syrup. Uh, w w w. I want to put on page 64 one of my all-time favorite comic book yarns, now in softcover, the fade-out by the master team of Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and Elizabeth Breitweiser. This is their uh, Hollywood noir story uh, that came out a couple years back. I have the hardcover collection of it. Uh, this is a book that I've lent to people who don't read comics, and they love it. Uh, I mean, this to me, this is, one, this is like probably the consummate uh, – uh, achievement of this creative team. I, I think they're actually writing a sequel to it, which is going to involve some of the same role in some of the some of the characters. But if you love noir, if you love like old Hollywood, uh, please do yourself a favor and, and pick up this book. It, it is it is it is a masterpiece. I, I don't use that phrase that word lightly here. It's it's, it's outstanding. I also wanted to point out um, if you're a reader of Saga. Which is You'll notice that it is not in the catalog because Saga's going on about a year hiatus. Yes, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, so that gives me yeah. some time to catch up because I am way behind in my reading of that. Mm, I'm a few volumes behind myself. Uh, I still got the issues because I believe they do include. Do they still do the letter columns in that, Chris? Oh yeah, yeah. Letter columns are fantastic. There's, yeah, there is some good background um, that Brian K. Vaughan gives you. No, Saga. I mean, I've long praised it as one of the best uh, books being produced today. I'm not going to spoil anything, of course, but uh, I just read um, issue 54, which is the the last issue before that the lengthy hiatus. Man, in fact, when we talk about Batman 50. When we get to that, I'm going to kind of use Saga 54 without spoiling anything to kind of. Uh, Emphasize the point I'm going to make when we discuss uh, Batman 50. It, it doesn't get better than Saga as far as I'm concerned. All right, so I should just get off my button or I can get back on my button and start reading some <laughs> uh, some more of my Saga back issues in. I, I highly recommend it, brother. All right. All right, well, let's move on to Dark Horse. All right. Now, on page 100, I have to admit I've never read an Umbrella Academy story. I, Has anyone read that series? I believe I read the first series of that, and it was quite a long time ago. I almost want to say... Ten years ago, perhaps. It's entirely possible. Uh, I do remember quite enjoying it. Uh, I know that uh, at the time um, he was writing it, um, Peter actually interviewed Solo. He had drawn away on the program. Uh, he interviewed him about the book and so forth. Uh, so that was a, a nice get for us at the time. Yeah, it looks like, wow, 2007, mm-hmm. according to my, uh, according to comic book DB here. Yes, the Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite. Yeah. I couldn't remember much about it, other than I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm just so terrible with remembering some things. Um, but. Well, actually, Panther says here on page 100, there's going to be a Netflix series debuting soon. Oh, I did not Based know on that. the Umbrella Academy. Huh. So you may want to go back to that original uh, story 
and uh, give that a read. Absolutely. Well, there's, there's Marty, there, go ahead, Pat. I'm sorry. Uh, there's, there's a, I've been going through my collection. There's so many things I have that I want to read. That's another reason why I'm sort of toning down the new books because I have old books to read, and plus the new books are I'm gonna uh, cranky pants. Four ninety nine, three ninety nine are so expensive, you know. Um, but yeah, this is what I would put on my list to reread if I can like, find it in my collection. <laughs> Right, there's the rub. Yeah. yeah. I actually never tried Umbrella Academy either, Chris, and since there I've been feeling that perhaps I've been depriving myself. All right. Well, maybe – well, what's the original arc called again, Pants? The first arc? Uh, the Apo- Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite. All right. Murder, that's where you can begin. Okay. And for those of you who are up to date with the Umbrella Academy and want to try Hotel Oblivion, the first issue is 50% off on DCBService.com. Episode 327 from November of 2007, uh, where Peter interviewed Gerard Way. Oshkosh, your skills as an archivist are unmatched. <laughs> I, I hit a few links, hopped a few things, and boom. <laughs> All right, I wanted to point out, because you, you and I... Pants, I, I second your feelings about not to, not to the same degree, but in terms of struggling with new books and prices and so forth. So, you know, I, I, I've been working. I when I ever work on my DCB service order, I'm always trying to get it under a certain number. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that means every month I have to eliminate certain things. But something I will never eliminate is on page one ten. Anytime Jeff Lemire is writing the world of Black Hammer, I am getting those books because. Talked about this many times in the past, and fudge it, it's our hill, it's our beans. I'm going to talk about it again because <laughs> if you love, you know, golden age sensibilities, but you want that that sort of that that edge, that 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 sordid underbelly revealed. Think, think like Sandman Mystery Theater, one of the to me one of the all time great uh, series in the American comic book medium. You got to go to the world of Black Hammer because, I mean, it's such a loving take on those types of characters. But again, characters who who are, are sort of who are, have been exiled into this sort of this pocket dimension and they can't escape, and how they you know how they have to of course they're forced to live together and then live these painfully anonymous lives, so to speak. And it's it's magnificent. Um, it's an Eisner winner. I, I can't recommend it enough. The current series are the the Quantum Age and also uh, the Age of Doom. So. It doesn't get better than this for me when it comes to the idea of the superhero comic. And I've come to find that where many of the mainstream superhero comics I'm losing interest in, for reasons I'll get into later on in the show, Black Hammer does it right because it's (laughs) creator-controlled. So you know someday it will probably end, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing (laughs) for when it comes to my reading Mm -hmm. satisfaction. (laughs) And and on the creator's own terms. Yes, and and because the stories have weight. They, They have, you know... Things matter. Let's put it that way. Page 113. Um, the Ring of Nibelung. I'm mispronouncing that. Um, th- this I've never – but I've heard of this. There's this beautiful P. Craig Russell art. Uh, it's the Eyes Award winning series collected in one volume. Um, anybody read this? I uh, haven't read it, but I think I've got almost all of the issues scraped together. Um, yeah, so that, that's why I'm not going to be buying this collection, but uh, still, it's very nice that it's being uh, presented this way, and in a soft cover edition, too, to keep uh, costs down. And of course, this is, this is based on. Uh, yeah, the Richard Bob- Wagner opera of the same yeah. title, The Ring of the Nibelung, uh, which in turn is uh, based on Teutonic myth. It's uh, not for nothing, it was the favorite opera of Adolf Hitler. 
Yeah, Hitler was a big Wagner fan. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go geek for a moment. If you think about the classic film Excalibur uh, from 1981 by John Borman, he uses Wagner's music extensively uh, in that film. If you remember sure. the classic Bugs Bunny short, What's Opera Doc? <laughs> directed by Chuck uh, How could you not? <laughs> We turn my wall. <laughs> I want you always beside me. Yes. That's based on the same source material, uh-huh. much more freely adapted by uh-huh. Chuck Jones and, and friends than, uh-huh. than by Pete Craig Russell. Here. This is a lot more faithful. But there, there are not very many uh, fantasy comics adaptations of fantasy operas on the shelves right. these days. And uh, yeah, you, you won't find better than what uh, Pete Craig Russell has put together here. I know this even without having read it. Because I do, at least, as I said, own most of the issues collected in, in this volume. See, when I say tangents, I mean some tangents. <laughs> yeah, they love it. Well, I'm, I'm not sure saying do. it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's... <laughs> want to put on page 122, um, the Conan Reader. This, this looks fantastic. So you've got uh, collecting Conan one-shots, short stories, miniseries. So just they're spotlighting a lot of the great creators that worked on Conan... Uh, in the Dark Horse era. So Busick, Van Lenti, P. Craig Russell, Jorah Lansdale, Ron Mars. I'm surprised none of the Brian Wood stuff is in here. I loved his work on Conan. But um, this is – if you want to get sort of like a, a, a primer, a sampler of what Dark Horse has been with Conan, this is a great place to start. That's on page 122. Anything else for Dark Horse, gentlemen? Uh, nothing for me. Uh, nor for me. All right. Uh, DC is the next one in the book, Pants. So should we just take out our copies of Batman 50? Oh, you know what? I should have brought my copy along. I forgot all about it. I, mean, uh, I, I, I can go by memory, though, but so uh, forth. But. Yeah, you, uh, here's mine. You can, okay, no, I don't want to finger your, your copy up there. It's quite all right. I'm <laughs> doing a fingering of my own. Hello. Of my comics. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Good bird. night, everybody. <laughs> All right, so go ahead, go ahead, Chris. No, I was going to say, just a little setup. We all know this is the much anticipated uh, quote wedding issue. Uh, <laughs> yes. When did this come out, Pants? Was it July? This came out July fourth. Okay, the same day as Catwoman number one. Right, which was by Joel Jones. Um, this, of course, is by the uh, the regular Batman writer Tom King, who who I can praise to no end. Um, and of course. You have a bevy of some of the you know the all-time great artists operating comics who provided a series of pinup pages that were part of the, the narration. And then uh, – who was the regular artist? I'm sorry. Uh, Mikel Yanin? Yes, there you go. So they've been building up this for quite some time, and I've been, re- I've been reading Tom King's Batman in trade because I missed the boat. I'm late to the party, and I've been devouring it. I think it's, I think it's one of the all-time great Batman arcs. Uh, run, so to speak, and I was really looking forward to this, um, and I'll, I'll start by just saying – we'll, we'll talk about our sort of initial thoughts. As much as I love this issue, and this is no reflection on Tom when I say this, I was also profoundly disappointed by it. So what, what, do you, what are you guys' initial thoughts, and we'll dig into it a little bit more. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. Um, I uh... – Got the Batman when they had the whole rebirth thing. I gave that a try um, for a little while. Um, read the first uh, six issues of Batman, but with issue seven, they started a crossover already with Batman and Nightwing and Detective. And at that point, I said, "All right, I'm out." So I dropped Batman 
at that point. I wasn't buying much at all for, for DC Rebirth. Um, until I heard about, well, of course, the button with Batman 22. Got back into that. But with issue 24, where there was the proposal to Catwoman. I said, wait a minute. This, this. So I went to Golden Eagle. They were sold out. Went to Barnes & Noble. Sold out. But Shane got me a copy later at Barnes & Noble. So I got that copy. And from there, I went to the back issue bins at cons for a dollar piece. And eventually got back into it and, and read it through. And enjoyed what I read. Really enjoyed the whole Batman double date with Superman and Lois Lane. That was, that was, oh, that's a great issue. That was Woo! a great issue. But, yes, I, I did enjoy uh, issue 50. But And I understand there's a grander story to tell. He's halfway through his 100-plus issue run, Tom is. But I, too, was profoundly disappointed by this um, for many reasons, not the least of which is that when I was at a panel at C2E2 in April where Tom was on it and the question came up, oh, is this going to be a phony wedding kind of thing? And uh, didn't say that it wasn't. Of course, he couldn't have died. But he said, oh, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. And so I was very disappointed about that. And we'll go more a little bit later. Mert? Yep. Well, no issue to take, as as you hinted, Chris, with the story itself. I mean, it is a, a, an issue well-crafted and well-told, uh, well, on the writing end, at least. I mean, I must say, I've never been much of a fan of stories that are told in the form of uh, a series of pinups by a variety of artists uh, with captions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are – there's a good bit of uh, actual story pages in here illustrated by Mikhail Hanin, but uh, yeah, all the – all, all the other artwork in the the assortment of styles just it, it got a little distracting after a while, and the, the series of captions that uh, King puts together is uh, in the form of uh, letters written uh, by the the bride and groom to one another. One of which turns out to be a dear Bruce letter, as we discover by the end of the story. Yeah, it's. It's a a story well told. It's just I I share the disappointment the two of you feel. I don't blame anyone for feeling cheated by the end of this. And really it's – it has less to do with the quality of the story as it has to do with the the, the extra textual marketing. Yes. The framing of it. Thank you. I mean if they hadn't – ballooned this whole thing up into a massive multi-issue you know crossover cash grab bonanza you know all these uh, tie-in issues the you know bachelor party and so forth and then you know to yank the actual wedding out from under us is it's kind of unforgivable especially when you take into account that it's about the same thing that DC did several years ago with the quote wedding of uh, green arrow and black canary where no actual wedding took place there either um, and then there was a great uh, – a bunch of uh, heavily marketed uh, and hyped uh, crossover issues for that as well. Um, one saving grace I can see in this – I mean it's, it, it was, as we've said a couple of times over, a good story and an enjoyable issue, uh, uh, wedding or no wedding. Um, you know, we got a Kite Man cameo. There was a – Hell yeah. Tom King writing a Tweedledee and Tweedledum appearance. That was, <laughs> it was almost worth uh, the cover price for, for that for me. But. Well – uh, for you, but, yes, I'm, but I'm strange that way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the real tragedy in, in this issue. I mean, it's the, the, the way these two. Tom King paints a, a twin portrait here of how these characters and how they see themselves and one another. And you know, just as well as they've gotten to know each other over the past several decades and multiple iterations of continuity, you know, several of which are reflected in just, the, the way that uh, – and then this issue is not the first time he's shown us this. But the way King conceives of uh, these two characters remembering their first meetings differently. Yeah. Batman remembers the original first meeting between them from Batman number one in Which I recently reread to, to get up on this mm-hmm. thing, yeah. We met on a ship. Met on a, met on a ship. 
She was disguised, disguised as an, an old lady. lady. Oh, my God. Jinx. <laughs> wow, that was crazy. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Whereas Catwoman remembers uh, the, the Batman year one, first, the Miller yes, first, right, version yes. of their first meeting, which is really when Out Catwoman – On the street. Be- right, on the street. Right, when, you know, and Holly was with her. It yep. was really when Catwoman began to evolve from just uh, – well, well, I shouldn't say that. She had evolved pretty strongly in the Bronze Age prior to Crisis too, but – but uh, it's kind of when uh, Catwoman, as we understand her today, uh, had her genesis. Yes. Um, but the real tragedy here is how, in the end, they appear not to understand each other very well at all. Now, as much as they know, there's just uh, – Catwoman seems to completely miss the point of Bruce, um, and which is a little disappointing, especially since uh, Holly is the one that uh, plants this little seed of doubt in her mind. And then on the very last page, we get that uh, stunning reveal – uh, and I, I don't think we should really fear spoilers here. I've, well, I said at the very beginning of the episode, spoilers, for, yeah. forewarned is forearmed. Yeah. So finding out that Holly and just about every other important character or an antagonistic character um, in uh, the, the, the first 50 issues of Tom King's run turn out to be uh, part of uh, this shadow cabal led by Bane as he sits on his uh, throne of skulls in the bowels of Arkham Asylum. I mean, you can even see the Flashpoint Thomas Wayne in the background. Thank you! What is he doing there? I, just somehow that, that whole The Button story was apparently a part of Bane pulling strings, too. Did you notice Skeets on the floor there in front of them? No! So even that little thing yep, with Booster yep. Gold and undoing Batman's origin and saving his parents as a wedding present. That's, wow. That, that this is something that, that apparently Bane was responsible for, too. The Joker and the Riddler standing next to well, each other. I, as I if, saw that, yeah, As yeah. if they hadn't just fought a war against each other. Gotham Girl is there. It's, so Bane is it's, – it's all just a different, more subtle and nefarious means of breaking the bat is what I think we're meant to understand. Now – I understand, and it is very disappointing that the wedding didn't actually happen. I mean, granted, these are fictitious I events. An we're invitation. Talking about here. <laughs> yeah, what was that all about? Well, they were handing out invitations at the the panel. Yeah, I know, but I, I'm being facetious here. What's inviting you to a wedding, and then? <laughs> well, that's another thing. If I can go a little bit into the story, actually, um, because I was a little confused, which is not uh, out of the realm for me. With they couldn't perform it officially as Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle. I don't understand. Was that because? Well, she has a criminal record, so oh, okay. If they got married, they were going to keep the marriage under wraps. All right. It just seemed to be. I I must have missed that point there. Okay, that's my fault. Then that's my fault. (laughs) By Judge Wolfman. Yeah, yeah, I I love that. I caught that. (laughs) Going back to the uh, the bar from uh, Batman Elmer Fudd. (laughs) Oh well, to to piggyback off what the the reference to to Marv Wolfman. What I love, what I love so much about Tom's writing. Is he's so reverent towards the history of comics and the character he mm-hmm. characters he's working yep. on? Every building well, and every room the characters visit in yep. the story is named after a, a creator. Yep, yep. And, and and I mean, again, this story is beautifully written. Um, Murn, I'm with you. I, I never was, was a huge fan of the, the, the pinup narration. A, a lot of great art, but regardless, I like how they use the pinups to convey. Uh, the two characters' thoughts about how they view the other, their relationship, their history, the dynamic. I, I love the story. I mean, it's so well done. And then we get to the end. Yoink. And 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 I, I, this is now. I can be totally wrong. This is just my gut reaction based on being involved in comics, both as a, as a retailer and a reader. You know, for my whole life, this reeks of corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe to be fair to Tom, maybe he has an idea in his hundred issue run to have them come together at some point. Mm. Um, I, I was, that's certainly certainly feasible. I, I mean, so 
what discuss what disgusts me about it, and this now I'm going to bring in Saga Fifty Four as a contrast. This issue is the poster boy of why superhero comics are going more and more to the bottom of my reading pile. Because I wanted them to get married because that would be interesting. It would be new. They could do innovative new stories. Like, for example, if he can't acknowledge that he, she's his wife in, in, in sort of publicly, like they could do interesting things with that. It would have meant, God forbid, change. And part of it's my sensibility as a reader now, as, as a middle-aged man, that's what I want now in, in, when I'm reading comics because we've seen it all before. Like we've seen this before where they, where they, they, they tease you on some big event, and that doesn't really happen. Because as corporate properties, the, the fixation is, well, there can only be the illusion of change. There can't be real change. Okay, in Saga 54 and 53, this book means something. Like this has weight to it. Like this, this is a story that – like wow, like you're floored by what, what you read and what's going to happen. Batman 50, but when it ended, I didn't care anymore because it's like, oh, they're doing this again. And I agree with Murray. It, it didn't ring true like – Holly whispers in her ear for a minute, and now suddenly she's going to – everything's gone to the wind. She's not going to marry Bruce after everything they've been through. Come on. It's silly. And I read the next couple issues of Batman, which I won't spoil. They're awesome. I mean, again, Tom is a tremendous writer. I, I, it's like I'm, quote, faulting him for this. It's, it's just I'm just tired of this whole shtick. Hmm. Um, and the other thing that I find silly is a tiny number of people are reading these comics. Tiny. Why do you even need to, to, to have the shtick anymore? Like, like you think a, a gazillion people are going to run out now and buy the issue? They're not. <laughs> I, can, I can assure you of that from my own professional experience. So you could have had a, a, great, a great ending that could have led to really interesting stories. All they've done is made me push these books even more to the bottom of my pile or just cutting them because I, I need meat. I, mm-hmm. I, I need, I need, to, I need to, to be moved. Um, and I realized again they got to you know they got to keep selling this stuff even though only a handful of people are buying them in in, in the grand scheme of things. But and part of it's just me and my sensibility. Now I'm bored. <laughs> um, saga jaw dropping because the creators have control over the work and they can tell the story they want to tell. So that that's that's my take on Batman Fifty. Right. Just sort of uh, serves to substantiate uh, fan cynicism. Just to yeah. One more thought or two on that for my perspective. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I did get the next three issues. I already pre-ordered them because they were drawn by Lee Weeks, 51, 2, 3. Oh, they're gorgeous. And enjoyed them uh, immensely. Um, but I dropped Batman again, just like before. If I want to get back into it again, I'm sure I'll find mm-hmm. the dollar bins because it's so um, overly produced. Not that it's a bad thing, but saying it's just how it's, it's a great selling title. Yeah, sure. So why shouldn't the print runs be as big as they are? And you know, if I come back to it, great, but I'm just not digging what happened with that. You know, I know Tom's got a plan. I know he's got a plan. I don't know what it is, but I trust that he's got a plan. I do too. But at this point, I'm just not interested in paying three bucks a month or whatever to, or six bucks a month with the (laughs) double shipping to find out what it is. Um, I'll catch up on Twitter, but I've, there's other things I want to do. I'm sort of down on DC right now. Again, this it's it's not 
it's, it's not the story. It's the marketing. I mean, a great part – most of the disappointment we're feeling right now is this is just the way DC has built this thing up and uh, cross-promoted it with so many tie-in issues. And now you know, we it may be a fictitious event that we're disappointed in not having been able to witness, but we still paid good money to witness uh, the, the, the non-existent wedding of Batman and Catwoman. And so I th- they do sort of have a, an obligation, I think, through that. And so that, that's a, a good part of the reason, besides uh, the very well-made point that uh, Chris had about uh, uh, just uh, making these little superhero melodramas feel even less significant and uh, making the, the change in these characters' lives seem even more illusory. Uh, just uh, the, the way that we feel monetarily cheated right now. But I... I'm going to stick with it. You know, I'm the, the, the final I'll panel here reveals that there's that there is indeed a greater pat of greater design at work here, both uh, kings and banes, and. Uh, there's a couple of things that I could see happening in the next 50 issues. Chris said that uh, since uh, King, King may have a plan, so if Batman and or Catwoman could somehow meet their pre-crisis Earth-2 counterparts, and if, if – I mean if uh, Flashpoint Thomas Wayne can come back and if, if something like Convergence could happen in the recent past, there's no reason why Tom King couldn't – I mean Psycho Pirate is standing right there. So there's no reason why that couldn't happen. So Batman and Catwoman could discover that it is, in fact, possible for a Batman and a Catwoman to get married and find true happiness together without lessening their efficacy as crime fighters. Uh, so that's efficacy? one thing. Yes, efficacy. Done with that for pants. That, means, that means being effective. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. The ability to function and perform a task well and as designed. Now, I... Bef- well, go ahead, Pants. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Um, before I lose my train of thought... Um, again, we're going off on a weight tangent here, but I have just literally been reading the All-Stars comics uh, re- revitalization in the 70s, where Bruce Wayne mm. is um, the police commissioner, commissioner of, of Gotham. Gotham. City. Yeah. And I've been reading that, and I just reread the first appearance of the Huntress with her story, which takes place, they show a whole little Batman Earth Two wedding. They talk about that, and I just I just read that like twenty four hours ago, so that's fresh in my mind. It's like I just that was a great story. So it can happen. You can have Batman and Catwoman married, and they may well very well be at some point in Tom's future in our lifetime. I'm just not going to hang around right now for it. It may happen before for real before Tom King's run is out. You know, real. Yeah, this (laughs) this whole bait and switch BS aside, I mean, it it may yet come to pass. But one thing, merge sentiments. It's again, I have such faith in Tom as a writer that I'm I'm along for the ride. I, I. like Merge said, my issue, my issue with what happened here is, is kind of also my just my issue with superhero comics by the big two in general right now. So, one more point right. I will I will make. Um, one thing that uh, could uh, redeem this whole thing, you know, the, the scene when Holly you know plays Worm Tongue and puts this idea in, in Catwoman's head, and she just kind of looks at her and goes, "What?" It, it may eventually turn out that uh, she's not saying what as in, oh, my goodness, this is a wrinkle in Bruce's psyche that I hadn't considered. It's more like, Holly, why are you saying this to me and who put you up to it? Like if, if we, could, we could eventually learn that uh, Selena sees through this conspiracy from the start and she's not throwing off the wedding because she thinks she's going to destroy this pain engine that Batman has become and deny the world one of its greatest champions. Rather, she's just kind of going on the, on the QT here because uh, she can see that Holly is uh, has been turned by somebody and uh, and she's and they're trying to get at Batman through her and she's distancing herself from Bruce just long enough for her to get to the bottom of it. 
because I, I, I would I, I think I'd have to lose a good deal of respect for Selena Kyle as a character if she really if she really believes the line of thinking that she puts in this letter that she writes to Bruce. Murd, I think that's a great uh, great explanation. I, I, I just got to chill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we move on to the actual DC solicits yeah. then? Yeah, right. let's do it. Right, let's do that. How about on page three, Cursed Comics Cavalcade, number one? Love the title. Alliteration reigns. It's covered by Doug Mankey. Horror, death, uh, face punching. Ten new stories. The most shocking and horrific comics that DC has ever published. Batman, Wonder Woman, Guy Gardner, Swamp Thing, Zatanna. Faced unspeakable horrors from the Gotham City to the darkest sectors of the universe. Prestige format. It's one of those $10.80 page giants they sometimes yeah. do. That looks fun. Oh, and then on pages four and five, blank comics. <laughs> so DC is asking us to pay two ninety nine for 16 blank pages under a blank cover with a Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman logo on it. I think I'll just go to Staples and get some. Well, it's it's for 24-hour comic day, which is coming up um, to make your own comics. And yeah. artists, um, I know artists buy up um, blank covers to make sketches. for that. That, that. That's a big thing, uh, sketch covers. But this, yep, is, that's right. this is for the 24-hour comic day. And I, I agree with you. To put the logo on essentially blank pages and get three bucks for it, hey – if you can do it, God bless you. <laughs> uh, my, my, my sentiments are somewhat antonymous to what you just said. but They're what? The opposite of what you just said. <laughs> you got to dumb it down for pants. If you sometimes. can get that money, God damn you. Ooh. <laughs> for your avarice. Page, page, page six, the books of magic returns. They're really bringing back all the Sandman properties. Uh, I guess because they're, they're acknowledging the uh, – was it 25th anniversary, I think? Sandman. Was so you have Lucifer returning on page seven. That was eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah it, you're right. Uh, I think it might be Vertigo twenty fifth anniversary. Yep, that's, All right, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. My apologies. No, it's fine. The books uh, of magic. Page, go ahead, Bert. I'm uh, sorry. I'm just just going to throw out there that the first issue of Books of Magic is fifty percent off at DCBService.com. Splendid. I'm so excited on page eight for the Heroes in Crisis miniseries by Tom King and Clay Mann. I'm sure we'll be talking about that on the air. Why are you excited about it? Because Tom King's writing it. Okay. <laughs> Tom well, no, King I is mean... doing a – he's doing a – I love the concept that's been introduced to us that – The sanctuary. Uh, there's a sanctuary where, where heroes basically suffer from PTSD, can go, um, and then there's, there's a murder mystery that ensues. So right. I, I love the elements he's bringing into this story. Uh, I think it's a great concept. I'm really looking forward to checking it out. Uh, okay, here's where I become my negative Nancy again. I'm just not looking forward to that. To me, again, for my distance, it, it, it seems to be um, eerily similar to Identity, Identity crisis, crisis, which is not a bad thing. Um, but, you know, building up the hype, someone's going to die, it's a mystery. Granted, I'm sure it's going to be fine in Tom King's hands. I, yeah. I, we keep saying that because he's proven that. Uh, maybe it's that I'm just... You know, down on DC altogether, which which I really am. I'm hardly getting anything from that at all, besides Green Arrow, essentially. Um, I'm just if someone puts it in front of me, I'll read it, but I'm not gonna. 
you know, spend any money on it. Mm. But if, if you enjoy it, maybe we can talk about it later if I can get a copy in my hands and discuss it. Oh, I'll, if, I'll be happy to talk about it. Absolutely. Pansy, I look forward, look forward to your opinion. <laughs> well, you're the, you're the only one then. <laughs> oh, come on. You're, you're, you're articulate when you choose to be? Come on. <laughs> when I choose to be. I love it. <laughs> No I want to point out on page 16 and 17, <laughs> again, uh, they're doing more of these Hanna-Barbera crossovers. Come on, Green Lantern, Huckleberry Hound. And it's the uh, uh, relevance movement John Stewart, Green Lantern, no less. Yes. Uh, How about Deathstroke and Yogi Bear? That's interesting. <laughs> He's not wearing a hat. <laughs> I protest. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I just I eat these uh, DCHB crossovers like candy, so uh, I'm probably buying all of these. Are oh, they... pants! As you met... oh, so go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Oh, so yeah, right there on page 18 is the yep. anniversary of Vertigo we spoke of. Yep, that's what I was talking about. Yep, 25 years and uh, a lot of great interviews. Wow, look at all the writers they're interviewing and, and artists. Fantastic. Forty bucks. Um, quickly back to uh, what's going on in pages 9 through 11 before we move on. Um, the uh, Witching Hour crossover. It's, uh, it's Justice League Dark, you know, DC's uh, supernatural adventure characters uh, crossing over with Wonder Woman, uh, making use of uh, the figure from ancient Greek mythology and later uh, witchcraft and folklore Hecate, or Hecate, as uh, I guess the Greeks would have said it, as a, a perfect link between Wonder Woman and uh, the darker side of the, of the DC universe. Uh, it's a great little way to uh, renew the trademark on the title The Witching Hour, which was a DC horror anthology in the, the late yes, 60s it was. and 70s. And also uh, get a cool idea for a story out of it. Yeah, it's, and bringing Wonder Woman more in touch with uh, the uh, magical underpinnings of her origin and crossing her over with these interesting characters of Justice League Dark. So that's going to be, I think, a five-part uh, five crossover. And it begins uh, with a 48-page special as seen on uh, page 9. I wanted to point – I'm jumping ahead a bit. On page 30, Deathstroke 36, of course, is being written by a priest, so it's always on the top of my list. So Deathstroke Arkham starts here. So apparently Deathstroke's going to end up in Arkham Asylum. It isn't long before the hunter becomes the hunted as Slade, powerless weaponless, is targeted by some of Gotham City's most wanted. Interesting. All right, so priest putting Deathstroke in Arkham. That's, I'm all over that. What else for DC you want to talk about, well, gentlemen? page 34, as I mentioned, um, Getting Green Hour, of course, by the Benson sisters. Uh, but this issue 45 is a momentary departure from their Sins Arrest storyline because it's a Heroes in Crisis tie-in. So God bless them. Hopefully get more eyes on the book with these tie-ins because I know that's uh, going to be the idea behind it. You know, boom. And I know Roy Harper mentioned Sanctuary briefly in issue 43 of Green Arrow, so there's going to be a real um, – it's a different tie-in, basically, So I'm trying to get at See, I'm not very articulate on that one. <laughs> well, you weren't trying. <laughs> uh, <sighs> clearly. Pansy, believe me, your capability of being efficacious is, is more than you know. Of being what? <laughs> efficacious. I, I want to insert one of Murd's vocabulary. You've got to stop it with these $18 no, no, words. You, you got, look, you've got to look at, at, at being in Murd's presence as an opportunity to learn. To learn and what? Grow, pants. New vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. See? <laughs> Chris was just uh, restressing an earlier lesson. I wanted to point on page 46. Has anybody read the Gail Simone Plastic Man? Uh, yes. Yes, I, I have. How, uh, how, how was issue one? Um, issue, well, it's uh, got some great humor. 
uh, because it is Gail Simone and uh, her, her humor's got kind of an edge to it. Um, I guess it's a little bit of a, a Runyon-esque uh, comedy noir. Runyon-esque. As in Damon Runyon, who was a writer of uh, fiction based on the uh, raffish, colorful characters of like 19... 19- uh, f- now you're just mocking me outright. I'm I mean- not... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so angry. You know, of course, I'm not angry. But. Colorful <laughs> figures of the New York underworld. You know, like uh, col- guys and dolls stuff. You know, like yep. colorful gangsters and gamblers played for laughs. Okay. That's, that's pretty much what Runyon-esque means. And okay. uh, that's what we're getting in, in, in this Plastic Man miniseries. Adriana Mello uh, is, uh, is doing some interesting things with Plastic Man's shape-changing powers. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, it sort of harkens back to a couple of Plastic Man stories that were told, like in the late Bronze Age. Okay. So, so you would say it's fun then? Yeah, it is. It is definitely fun. It's it's got kind of a wicked sense of humor. I mean, there are there are some dark, violent parts to it, but it, it is still fun. Excellent. I wanted to point out because I know you guys always like to note this, and and how could you not with this this team up? So, Scooby Team of Forty Three, the Doom Patrol. <laughs> Oh. Wow. Uh, you know what? I, I have to admit, I really haven't read this series, but I, I, you guys always say how much fun it is. Oh, yeah. Um, I just so read I may have, to, may have to collect this in trade. Cause... Yeah, I, I just read the uh, JSA appearance. And how was that, Pansy? Oh, it was fun. They, they took the – they broke up into teams mm-hmm. like they do in the old uh, All-Star Comics run of the JSA. Mm-hmm. And it, oh, it was – yeah. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. I have some trades I want to talk about, but any other floppies you want to address? Nope. Go right ahead to the trades, Chris. All right. I want to talk about on page 66 two, two uh, really interesting Aquaman's offerings. The Search for Mera, written by Steve uh, Skates, art by Jim Aparo. So this goes back to uh, the late Silver Age. Aquaman 40 to 48. Those are classic stories from Aquaman's history. And I really enjoyed the Throne of Atlantis story that Jeff Johns did uh, back – this is the New 52 uh, Justice League. That was a really uh, – that was good stuff. Aquaman 0, 14, 16, and Justice League 15 to 17. It's an excellent crossover. Uh, if you've never read on page 67, this, to me this is one of the all-time great Superman stories. All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison and Frank Quiley. They were introducing that, reintroducing that in trade. Uh, to me this is just – captures the essence of the character beautifully. I also love the animated film they did as an adaptation of it. So I recommend that as well. Pants look on page 68. Batgirl, the Bronze Age Omnibus, Volume 2. I have all of those issues listed there. Mm. <laughs> I figured you did, but these, these are some of the harder-to-find stories from the Batman Family book. Mm. Which I remember when I was a back-issue dealer, Batman families were always a challenge to, uh, to find mm. and sell. Right you are. Because so. I still haven't collected all of those myself. So. Shame on you. Get on that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 50 lashes with a wet noodle. <laughs> Fantastic. I've heard that phrase in a while. God, I love you, Murd. <laughs> Feelings mutual, Chris. Thanks, bro. Uh, point on page 79 just because you have to. So as we anticipated, they're collecting uh, Tom King's entire – which is not done yet in floppy form. It's entire 12-issue uh, Mr. Miracle opus. Uh 320 pages, 24.99 in time for the holidays. So if you, if you want to if you want to wait for the trade for this, believe me, it's well worth it. Uh, that comes out on November 14th. So that's one of the best series out there right now. Anything else on trade you guys wanted to mention? 
Uh, let's see. Um, well, there's a Bizarro story uh, traded on page 83, Superman Volume 7, Bizarro Verse, which I do recommend. Page 84, The Teen Titans, The Silver Age, Volume 2. Uh, and so this is the uh, swinging uh, late 60s uh, Titans <laughs> here, including an appearance from Bob Haney's uh, Brave and the Bold. Um, oh, on page 86, the an omnibus hardcover collection of, of Phil Jimenez's uh, Wonder Woman run from the uh, early 2000s. Um, I think Peter Rios would agree with me here that these are some wonderful stories uh, with uh, Phil Jimenez art uh, and also some uh, art from some equally talented uh, uh, collaborators. Um, I mean, I wouldn't pay a hardcover price for it, but still, th- th- that doesn't detract from the quality of the material. If you pre-order, it's half off the mm-hmm. CBS. Yeah, which helps. Still not going to buy it, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just praising the material more I than I am the format. I understand. But uh, that's all I've got to say. How about you, Pants? Anything else for DC? Nope. Do you guys mind if we skip ahead to Marvel just because I, I, I have unexpected limited time? No problem. Do you want to do the discussion on X-Men uh, Gold first? I'd love to, yeah. All right. Now, this I have not read, but uh, Murd has, and this is again another wedding, wedding issue. Yes. Till Death Do Us Part, which is the name of the multi-part story arc you know, with many... You know, highly hyped tie-ins again <laughs> leading right. into this. So X-Men Gold 30, and who is the creative team? What's the creative team? Uh, Mark Guggenheim, writer, David Marquez, artist, uh, Matthew Wilson, colorist. Thank you. Um, and I'll keep my remarks here brief. Uh, it's This issue is just uh, – there's no combat involved. It's just uh, the, the, the reception, the, the rehearsal dinner, and uh, the, the ceremony itself such as it is, uh, all taking place at uh, the uh, – the X Men at the X Mansion at uh, 1407 Grimalkin Lane. You now the full address is <laughs> listed as part of the story. Um, there, there's some good little character moments thrown in here, lots of them, in fact, as uh, different characters from different uh, periods of the X Men's history all gather together for the happy event, interact with one another, um, and it's respectful to the continuity. It, it touches on a lot of the historical beats of uh, Kitty Pride and Colossus's shared past as they prepare to. Uh, take their vows. Um, and it kind of has to because uh, their shared history, their long, tempestuous shared history is one of the key points of the issue. And it's what ultimately leads to the two of them not really getting married by the end. I mean, it, it's kind of a... You know, I, I told you earlier, Brian, that uh, it's interesting to compare the two stories, Batman number 50 and this one, because in both of them, it's uh, the maid of honor, the, uh, the bride's closest female friend that uh, sort of whispers in her ear and... Uh, infects yep. her with doubt. And in this case, it's Ileana Rasputin, Colossus's younger sister, who's been a friend of Kitty Pride since the New Mutants days. She was de-aged for a while, and then she was dead for a while, but now she's... She was dead for a while. Well, wasn't Colossus dead for a while, too? Um, so, yes, I was just going to say, the groom was. Well. Yeah, it's, he, he injected himself with a fatal cure for the legacy virus, <laughs> which is a mutant plague that was a major storyline of the 90s. Joss Whedon, John Cassidy, right? Uh, well, no, that's how Colossus came back. Oh, how he came back? Yeah, he ah, died okay. several years before that. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, but uh, sacrificing himself. But he's, they all got better. <laughs> Ileana's there and uh, a young woman, and she and Kitty are having a conversation on the rooftop, and Ileana just kind of says, eh, I just, it just seems to me that if the two of you were going to be right for each other, if this was meant to be, it would have happened a long time ago. Instead, you've just gone through all this long, painful history. You suffered. Uh, my brother was dead for a while. You were stuck out of phase with this universe and trapped inside a giant bullet orbiting Earth. <laughs> Which that that spun out of Whedon Cassidy also. Ah. Yes, it did. Um, but so if, what it all adds up to is 
when the two of them are finally before the wedding arch and the rabbi is in place to, to wed them. Kitty phases the wedding ring through her hand when Colossus oh, puts it on her finger. And she says, I'm sorry, I don't think I can do this. And she literally sinks into the ground. Oh, that's ra- terrible. It's, it's stupid. Oh, it's it's utterly implausible <laughs> just because Ileana says this little thing to her and, and she's beating herself up for, for the rest of the issue. Oh. Even though th- th- there is a little something thrown in at the end where... Can no one find happiness? So, someone does in this issue. <laughs> really? Oh, that's but, right. Yeah, Colossus and Kitty catch up with one another after the whole runaway bride bit. And uh, it's, it's established that it's not just what Ileana said to her. It's just uh, when she was there and the, the, the rabbi, a female rabbi, no less. That's how progressive things are in the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe. Okay. Um, when she is going down, talking about all that they've faced together, all the adversity, and Kitty finally decides, quote, marriage is hard, hard enough without all this stuff. It's just too much history. <laughs> a lot of it good, yeah, but some of it bad and all of it messy, not the foundation to build a marriage on. Peter responds, love is that foundation. Do you love me, Katya? She says, with all my soul. Peter says, then I don't understand. And Kitty says, neither do I. All I understand, all I know at the moment is, and she might as well have finished her sentence with, editorial won't let this happen. Because that's almost certainly the case. I can't do this, not today, maybe not ever. I don't know. That's what she actually says. Uh, but yeah, so it's really it's, it's all the more implausible when you take into account that Kitty is the one who proposed marriage to Colossus. The whole thing was her idea, and yet somehow she flakes out at the last second, and it just does not fit with her character at all. But at least there is oh a happy. Goodness. Sorry, that's okay. But <laughs> there is at least a happy ending because I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but uh, there's sort of a spur of the moment other X Men wedding that takes place. Well, Gambit, I read a tumor, so I know what you're talking about. Gambit proposes to Rogue. Get out! I will not get out because yeah. it actually happens. You know, there it is. And the two of them actually well, do. Now, is, is he, he's holding her hand. Is she wearing a glove? Yeah, she is. Okay. I just... And I'm not sure what the status of her powers is right now because they do kiss each other here wow. on the last page. But yet they're they're husband and wife now. They they had all the trappings of the wedding are there. The rabbi is there. The guests Let's are there. Let's get married. Yeah. What the heck? We got this whole setup here. We got here. the band. We <laughs> put it to a good use. So yep, Mister and Miss. So you may have seen in earlier issues of previews something called X classified being solicited with no other information given in the or Marvel. The, I think right, there's right, like right. Mrs. and Mrs. Mr. Mrs. X. I think That's in, right. Yeah. Retroactively in the back of this issue, they tell you that's what those. Were. Mr. and Mrs. X, oh. Gambit and Rogue as husband and wife, going on their honeymoon to the Shi'ar Imperium. What, they couldn't go to the Niagara Falls instead? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough cool stuff to steal, eh? <laughs> if, if I may make a few comments, gentlemen. Absolutely. Of course, please do. So, I was looking forward to reading this, Brad. I'm glad you, you uh, proposed discussing it, because I haven't read no an X-Men it. comic, ah. I, I think, since... Avengers versus X-Men. Like, I, I dropped off X-Men after that miniseries. I enjoyed it, but I, I just lost touch with the title. And I grew up with these characters. I mean, I grew up with Chris Claremont's version of the characters. Um, I've always loved them. Huge X-Men fan, but I've not read the book or any of the, all the different, you know, ancillary titles for quite a few years. So, interested to see where things were. What I loved right away was the opening page. They go back to that classic John Romita uh, Jr. issue. And they, they they sort of you know imitate his art here where they where they have and the, the dialogue is verbatim. Um, it's a classic Claremont issue where Colossus tells Kitty, you know, I I I, I realize I can't be with you. And then in that same issue, then ends up in a bar with uh, Nightcrawler and Wolverine. Wolverine tells him, look, you, you know, you're full of it. And and the brawl breaks with Juggernaut. It's a classic issue of X. I think I want to say it's 189, maybe. Um, so it was good. Returning to the book, I've always loved. The X-Men 
characters when they're often not fighting when when they talk about their family dynamics, their friendships, their histories. So it was great. Like it was great to see Lockheed return, for example, with his brood, and to see all the different characters and, and so, you know th- those wonderful relationships like Stevie, uh, K- Kitty's old dance teacher, and, and you know Kitty's bond with Aurora and Elania Rasputin. So I thought it was very well written. The dialogue, I thought they captured the characters and the histories very well. As Merd said, though, I groaned when I got to. Um, you know the whole Kitty's not going to get married. At this point, I'm just like, why? Why do they even bother with these stories anymore? You know, because it, it, it's just silly. I mean, with all these two characters have been through, you know, of course, if if they're going to get married, of course it's going to happen. It, it's 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 silly. It was great to see Gambit and Rogue, you know, come together at the end. Rogue's been through hell and back, um, but. As much as I enjoyed seeing the, all these sort of old friends, uh, my attitude to this book was, all right, I kind of – it was great to go to this reunion, and I probably don't need to see them again for another five years or something like that. <laughs> so again, I, I was well-written. I, I enjoyed revisiting all these characters I love, but the, the way they ended it with, with Kitty and, and Peter, was, I just rolled my eyes like, oh, God. <laughs> so – that that's that's my take on X Men Thirty, but Murd, I'm glad you you proposed discussing it. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just rip through a couple of things if I may, Jim. And again, I, I I'm sorry about that. Um, if I may, oh, certainly you may. Yes. Um, I wanted to point out on page in the Marvel book on page thirty one and thirty and through page uh, thirty four, they're returning the what if concept that Marvel does this periodically. What I'm most excited about is on page 33, What If Spider-Man Number 1 by Jerry Conway? And the, the premise is, what if Flash Thompson became Spider-Man? So it's Jerry Conway, one of the all-time great Spidey scribes, doing a what-if issue. I'm all over this. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. In fact, on page 36 and 37... They're doing – again, they're, they're true believers that the low-cost $1 reprints are doing a whole series of classic what-ifs. They're re- returning to print. What if Jane Foster found the Hammer of Thor, for example? What if the Avengers fought evil during the 1950s? That's a classic. Yes, it is. What if Doctor Doom become a hero? Great stuff. So if you want to sample some old what-ifs, uh, definitely check that out. So I wanted to point that out. Again, I want to put it on page 38. I'm still enjoying Jason Aaron's run on Avengers. Uh, again, a great writer. Even though I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more jaded about you know the heroes as corporate properties, the illusion of change. If it's a good enough writer, I'm, I'm still going to give him some of my shekels when I can afford it. So I'm really enjoying Aaron's run on Avengers. I love Todd Nisi Coast Captain America number one, which, he, which uh, I'm looking at number, issue four and page forty three. Really interesting take he's got on the character. I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes with that. So I recommend that. Anybody read Tony Stark Iron Man one? No. By slot. Not yet. Okay. Again, I had to make painful cuts for my ordering just because of, of budgetary reasons, so I did not order that. So, Murder, look forward to your opinion. It might be 10 years away, but look forward to your opinion. <laughs> Honestly, I think I may have forgotten to order it from DCBS, Chris, so you may have to wait until I can like find a copy, first of all. <laughs> Fair I, enough, brother. I know I pre-ordered issues like two through – well, I'll be pre-ordering the ones that are in this issue too. But I think two and three and four are on their way, and I'll be getting five and six. All right. Page 54. Now, Fantastic Four number three uh, by Slot and Pacelli. I just read one. I won't spoil anything. 
Um, we can talk about it in a future comic talk. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so if you love the FF and, and, and you've been missing the team, uh, definitely pick up Fantastic Four number one. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. And I'm pleased to see on page uh, – hold on, no number here, one moment. On page 56, they still go with Marvel 2 and 1 by Chip Zdarsky. So issue 11 is all about apparently Ben and Reed sort of reuniting in the, in the, in the wake of Reed's absence and sort of trying to – Work through whatever issues they may have as a consequence of that absence. I'm really I'm, I, this is one of Marvel's best series as far as I'm concerned. I've praised it effusively on the air um, numerous times. I continue to do that, so I'm really looking forward to uh, issue 11 of uh, Marvel Two and One. So definitely check that out. And I want Mert. I wanted to also compliment you because I, I listened to that comic talk I had to leave early last last episode. The Markway Doctor Strange is immensely fun. I also enjoyed uh, issue one thoroughly. I like how they're putting him in this, this new situation on the cosmos, trying to you know, find new sources of magic. Uh, again, you give the, a great writer a property. In most cases, if, if, if I can afford it, I'm going to stay with it just because it's such a joy to, uh, to see Mark Wade uh, do his stuff like that. That's, that's another book uh, I highly recommend from uh, the Marvel properties. I also want to point out on page uh, 89 – which is not numbered. Marvel does these digests, I think, with the Archie Company. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And this one in October, they're, they're, they don't tell you what, but I'm assuming by the cover they're reprinting some, reprinting some classic X-Men stories. I remember got the Spider-Man digest they did, which it, it's just if you if you're if you're harkening back to those nostalgia days, of like the digest size books, uh, definitely uh, grab grab that. They're a lot of fun. Page ninety-one. The current Star Wars arc, Hope Dies, is one of the best of the entire series. I, it's tremendous. There's stakes to it. It feels like there's real weight. Uh, breathtaking art by Salvador La Roca. For me, no one draws a more majestically terrifying Darth Vader. Uh, Kieran Gillen is, doing a, is knocking on the park. His stuff is just as good as what Jason Aaron was doing. One of the top comics out there as far as I'm concerned. And also the Darth Vader series on issue 93, page 93, also top flight if you're a Star Wars fan. And check out on page 95. You always got to love the Halloween the, the, or holiday-themed books. The Halloween Spooktacular, Captain Marvel. Looks like it's very kid-friendly. It's from the Marvel Superhero Adventures line. So that looks like a lot of fun. Thor in a Ragnarok cut-off like 80s metal t-shirt. Fantastic. So metal. <laughs> On to trades. Uh, Mert, check it on page 102. A deluxe edition hardcover of the Infinity Gauntlet. And across from that, Mert, another Thanos OGN by Starlin, mm-hmm. penciled by Alan Davis. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, since uh, Starlin had a little bit of a falling out with uh, the Marvel Comics division. As a result of, uh, I guess, uh, editorial miscommunication, some plot point from one of these uh, OGNs of his being uh, replicated and rendered redundant by other comics Marvel's doing. Uh, this might be the last one of these we see for a while. So, Well, in a, in a future episode, we should talk about, in a comic talk, our, our, our reaction to the, the uh, Infinity Siblings hmm. OGN. Um, page n- – I always have to mention this because this, this, there are certain books that – no matter how many times I've read them, they still give me chills. Page 106, 107, Marvels is one of those books. This is one of my all-time favorite uh, comic book stories. It's where I was first introduced both to Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross yep. as, as, a, as a reader. 
uh, I remember my first wild pig store, the one that destroyed the flood in, in the town of Bambrook in, in 1999. My cousin is a very gifted artist had done a recreation of, of the cover of this uh, trade in one of the windows of, of, of the uh, store, which of course was destroyed in the flood. It was a full, full mural of this cover. Wow. Can we have pictures um, of that? Yeah, it's just – if you love the Marvel Universe and its history, especially that silver, silver Bronze Age history, if you haven't read Marvels, for pity's sake, please pick up this this uh, remastered trade. Mm-hmm. It, it still moves me deeply because, again, Ross's art just captures the mythic essence uh, of these characters and the, and the situations that they're in. And so that, that's the, go ahead, pants. Yeah, and the um, characters looking like other uh, famous people is just it's a it's, it's eye candy up to the. And to infinity. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Like the wedding of Reed and Sue. Oh. <laughs> well put. Well put. Uh, page 135, X-Men Epic Collection. The Sentinels live. All right, so classic uh, Silver Age, issues 46 to 66, which it will you get art from both Steranko, Barry Windsor Smith, Neil Adams, the classic Roy Thomas, Neil Adams stories. If you if you love Silver Age X-Men, you haven't read these stories, uh, this, this is sort of the what... Well, the book was still ultimately canceled, went to reprints. But the, these these stories, especially the Thomas Neil Adams stuff, are considered classics. Uh, I highly recommend those. Uh, one more thing before I, I depart, gentlemen. I apologize for that. Uh, I wanted to point out just quickly, jumping ahead on page two hundred five of the regular previews, uh, the dynamite section. James Bond: The Body. It's a hardcover uh, reprint. I'm sure it'll come out in softcover eventually if you want to save a few bucks. But of the miniseries, one of the best James Bond comics I've read. Um, it, it, Alex, uh, I'm going to mispronounce the name of this. Alice Cott does a wonderful job of really getting getting deep into sort of the the underbelly of Bond's world and the choices he has to make and the consequences of those. And he contrasts that with other characters he meets and the choices they make. Uh, definitely, I mean, I've loved everything Dynamite's done with James the James Bond property. This is probably my favorite, though. Might be my miniseries of the year when we do our awards. Uh, for 2018, we'll see because that, that's between that and the wonderful David Walker Ursus story from Planet of the Apes. And then one more thing I want to mention: page 226, Planet of the Apes, the Time of Man. Slept over 50 years because Planet of the Apes came in 1968. One of cinema's most important franchises, this one-shot collection. I've stories highlighting that Planet of the Apes' most dangerous enemy, the Beast Called Man. Dan Abnett, David Walker, Philip Kennedy Johnson, in immediately. I've also been loving Boom's uh, Planet of the Apes uh, titles as well, so that that's exciting. Brothers, I must depart for a family obligation. I apologize. <laughs> that's all right. But as always, it's been an honor manning the parapet with you. <laughs> the guard has been changed. You are relieved of your post. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. I look forward to seeing you both in the very near future. All right, sir. All right. Good night, my friends. Take Good care. Night. Good night, Chris. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Whoa! Ah-ha-ha! Ha. No one expects Muddle of Bird! <laughs> it's cheap rubber to surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise. And also Air Harp! <laughs> That's right. Well, I said, well, I have this opportunity. Let me pull a Muddle the Murd. And this actually happens to be the penultimate Muddle the Murd in our queue right oh, now. Oh, my goodness. People, you are missing out an opportunity to win some truly worth-having artwork. Yes, because we do have quite a lot yet. And still up for grabs uh, for this um, segment is the Walt Simonson Batman sketch, as well as a Zelda Fitzgerald painting by Moritat. 
could be yours if you murder the word. And this entry comes to us from Mike Atchison. Oh, the Atch Attack himself. The Atch Attack himself. He goes, hello again, gents. As I mentioned to Pants at C2E2, I have had a new Muddle of Murd percolating for a while. Oh, my. And now is the time to add it to the hopper. This is actually from April 15th he sent this. And as promised, there is no mention of any other puzzle for the peerless and perpetually popular Pants. <laughs> Here we go. Question one, DC pre-1970. Comet, the super horse, once lived in ancient Greece as a mythical creature named Byron, B-I-R-O-N. I know how it's spelled. Of course you do. The, <laughs> the mighty sorceress Circe, in an attempt to reward him for saving her life, granted him one wish. He wished to be a real man, but an enemy of Circe switched the magic potion and turned him instead into a horse. Circe, unable to reverse the spell, instead gave Byron superpowers, including telepathy. What mythical creature was Byron slash Comet originally? A centaur. A centaur, he says, as though, you know, everybody knows naturally. that. Naturally. Well, of course, naturally. <laughs> he was half man, half horse. He wanted to be all man, but instead he ended up all horse. With superpowers. Now, this is, this is not a bonus question, but do you know what uh, issue that came from? Ugh. <laughs> Action Comics number something? Yes. Number 282, I don't know. 334. Yeah, I don't know. Numbers. I know you don't. Independent, question two, 1970 to 2000. In 1982, Dave Stevens' Rocketeer first appeared as a cameo in the first issue of what comic series created by legend Mike Grell and published by Pacific Comics? Note, Rocketeer's first full appearance was in a backup feature in issue two of the same title. Hmm. Yeah, if you'd asked me this a couple of years ago, I mean, I actually read a trade of, it, of the Rocketeer's first appearances uh, on our car ride back from Heroes Con a couple of years back. Oh, okay. Uh, but that was a couple of years back, uh -huh. and yeah, I'm afraid I didn't uh, really take note of – I mean, I looked in the indicia to see what to, – to try and source the appearances that I was reading, uh -huh. but yeah, it has not stayed with me. Oh, okay. Uh, motion Picture Comics. Star Slayer. Star Slayer, all right. I've Heard of that, but I would not have guessed that. Okay. Question three, Marvel, 2000 to the present. By the final issue of the most recent volume of She-Hulk, volume four, number 163, Jen Walters is back to being green again in her She-Hulk persona and leaves her law firm for greener pastures and takes her loyal presence and takes her loyal personal assistant with her. What is his first name? Oh, Nuts. I was hoping it was going to be Wheezy Mason, but obviously it isn't. <laughs> Ronaldo. Bradley. <laughs> not even close. Because we're not sure his name's even been revealed his last name. Mm. Anyway, except for the first question, Mike, which I'm uh, shaking my head at you. I even knew that one. I could have I figured that out. But I was expecting, you know, what, what was his real name when he was a centaur? Or Show off. Byron, yeah. Oh, is there his ever last name? By no, Byron. That's, oh, that's it? Which was a part of the question. I thought maybe that's what he was going oh, to ask. Oh, no last name, though? No, well, no, no. This, <laughs> this is the ancient Greek, ancient... Easy for you to say. Ancient Hellenistic times. And, yeah, so, so there wouldn't have been a surname, most likely. Okay. Especially since he was, you know, not human. All right. Anyway, but... So better luck next time. And we do... We now are now down to only one entry in the queue mm. 
for Mortal Merge, so get those entries in. We still have plenty of artwork to give away. It was a valiant effort, Mike, but you just got a little bit too close to my strike zone. <laughs> and I'm sorry I can't uh, send that uh, those pieces of art out to you in Utah, but I hope that you're doing well out there. All right, so that was our little interlude there. So now we're going to – anything else in Marvel you want to Well, yeah, about? I wanted to do my own uh, sort of lightning round. All right. Maybe touch on some things that Go Chris didn't it. mention. Uh, Marvel was leading off Marvel previews this month with uh, Spider-Geddon, which is a five-issue miniseries with lots of tie-in miniseries. It's a big spider event that's kind of a sequel to the Spider-Verse event of a year or two ago when spider – related characters from a variety of different parallel universes uh, team up for safety in numbers against the uh, spider sidle uh, uh, sort of a mystic vampire figure named Morlun who feeds on the energies of uh, animal totem-powered beings, especially spider-powered beings. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I mention it mainly because a couple of the tie-in miniseries have uh, some pretty promising creative teams, especially on page six, Spider Force, three-issue miniseries led by Kane, the Scarlet Spider. Uh, that's Written by Christopher Priest. So uh, let, let everyone who's a fan of his work, including Chris, take note of that. And on page seven, Spider Girls, uh, featuring uh, May Parker from Tom DeFalco's Spider Girl series in the MC2 continuity. Uh, Anya Corazon, uh, formerly known as Aranya, and uh, Annie May Parker, the Spiderling, I've never heard of. So those are the three Spider Girls there. Also, we've got the return of Spider Gwen there. Um, in case you thought we'd seen the last of her. On page 11, we've got a one-shot featuring uh, Otto Octavius in his new lease on life as the superior octopus, written by Christos Gage, who is also the prime architect of the whole Spider-Geddon event. So that's just a 48-page one-shot, and I will be at least buying that one. Uh, page 12 gives us an Avengers Halloween special with a story written by Jay Barrakel, which I think is the same guy who uh, starred in Man Seeking Woman and uh, Undeclared. I think he's... If it's the same Jay Barakel, he's also an actor in addition to a writer. Okay. And you're going to the internet, and I thank you for that. Uh, pages uh, 13, 14, 15. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you. There's <laughs> <laughs> a muddle extra credit, I guess. Uh, Shuri, the sister of T'Challa, the Black Panther, you know, um, introduced to uh, millions of new admirers through the Black Panther film. Now she's getting her own series written by uh, Afrofuturist author uh, Nnedi Okorafor. So, ongoing series for her. A um, couple of interesting tie-ins to the Infinity Wars miniseries, written by Jerry Duggan. There's that name again. Including on page 18, The Return of Sleepwalker. You're a big Sleepwalker fan? I'm a moderate Sleepwalker fan. Okay. I've got a complete run of the series from the Ooh. 90s. He's actually one of the better original characters okay. that Marvel introduced in that decade. And I just read the first and only issue of Marvel's failed epic anthology from 2004 in which Robert Kirkman, before he was Robert Kirkman, attempted to relaunch the character. Okay. Obviously didn't get very far with it. But. Uh, so let's see. Wolverine is still returning from the dead. <laughs> Uh, page 26, we've got a Shatterstar miniseries written by Tim Seeley. So the, the 90s continue to make a comeback. Um, pages 28 and 29, another color-coded X-Men series appears to be in the offing. Um, so we've got one-shots, uh, X-Men Black, colon, and different X-Men villains. So spotlight being thrown on Emma Frost, the White Queen, Juggernaut, Mystique, Mojo, and, of course, the grandfather of all X-Men villains, Magneto, written by Chris Claremont. 
So that is one that uh, probably warrants a bit of attention. And Chris uh, mentioned all the different uh, what-if tie-ins, as, because as he said, Marvel periodically returns to that idea. Um, page 43, Chris mentioned uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Captain America series. I, too, am interested in issue number four because it's got uh, an appearance by that classic uh, Marvel journeyman villain and renaissance man, the Taskmaster. To see what uh, I'm actually more interested in seeing what Coates does with him than with Cap in that issue. Uh, issues five and six of uh, Dan Slott's Iron Man, then, on pages 44 and 45. Certainly interested in that. Uh, when we get to the Star Wars section on page 92, uh, Dr. Afra uh, crosses paths once again with Darth Vader, since she began life as a supporting character in a Darth Vader solo series written by Kieran Gillen. So, good to see those two back together again. Uh, into the trades and collected editions, page 98 is a hardcover omnibus of the early uh, costumed and empowered appearances of Carol Danvers. Now, Carol Danvers uh, was originally just a human supporting character in the adventures of Captain Marvell, but uh, this collection shows us some of the earliest adventures of Carol Danvers with superpowers and as a hero in her own right, as Ms. Marvel, and I guess later on as Binary. That it's uh, looks like it's in her entire 70s series, all 23 issues, some an appearance from Marvel Team Up, and a bunch of other scattershot appearances, including some issues of Avengers and the infamous Avengers number 200, which is uh, not the uh, finest hour of Marvel's writing staff as far as handling um, Carol Danvers as a character. Uh, but it's 720 pages of uh, Bronze Age uh, Carol Danvers goodness, if you want to know what the character was uh, in her early days as a costume champion well before she became Captain Marvel herself. It's all for $100 or significantly less at dcbservice.com. Half off. It's half off, right off the bat. Um, and we mentioned Infinity Gauntlet and Infinity Conflict and Marvels. And, yeah, there's some good collections, uh, both new and uh, vintage, coming out from Marvel here. Uh, page 120 and 121, we've got Gail Simone's Domino series, uh, the first six issues, which I must say is a lot of fun. It's got uh, Gail Simone's Biting Wit and the uh, great-looking splashy artwork of David Baldion, who was one of the main reasons why I was interested in uh, IDW's Micronauts series when it was first published, even though he wasn't uh, on that, that series for very long. Um, so, yes, I do recommend Domino. Uh, and I think that's all. Uh, oh, one more thing then. Page 136, a collection of the Avengers Undercover series um, in, in trade paperback, uh, which is a sequel to the Avengers Arena series written by Dennis Hopeless, which was basically a young Marvel superhero deathmatch where yes. Arcade kidnapped a couple dozen young heroes, stuck them on an island, and forced them to battle each other to the death for survival. Uh, Avengers Undercover shows a few of the survivors of that series getting together and infiltrating the Masters of Evil. And some of them decide to break bad, as the solicitation copy puts it, and just, uh, uh, sympathizing with the, the masters of evil as they get to know them and uh, being seduced. It's kind of like an anti-Thunderbolts concept. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's, I, I, it only ran for ten issues. I have all ten of those issues, and I would give a, a modest recommendation to this trade. All right, so that takes care of Marvel then. Okay. So I guess the next then would be IDW. Anything for IDW, Adam? Um, yeah, I'm sure there will be. Um, oh, well, actually, Dynamite comes next in... Uh, well, no, because you were going back to page one. Oh, that's right. I forgot. We skipped IDW earlier because... Right, right. Because Chris had uh, a time crunch. Okay, so yes, uh, thank you. I stand corrected. And how did a AA battery get into my copy of previews? <laughs> I don't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> Set that aside. Um, okay, so IDW. Uh, yeah, they're, they're doing a five-week Star Wars Adventures event. 
And I, I continue to be slightly puzzled by the way Disney is handling the Star Wars comics licensing because it's not all going to Marvel. But uh, this is uh, sort of an all-ages take on Star Wars characters. Uh, Tales from Vader's Castle is the umbrella title. It's kind of a Halloween-themed. Uh, five, I assume, not particularly related or anthological uh, issues here. Uh, featuring a variety of different characters from all over the Star Wars timeline, various sub-properties of Star Wars. Uh, you've got characters from Rebels. Uh, you've got characters from the prequel era, including young Obi-Wan and Count Dooku. You've also got uh, young Han and Chewie, and you've got the Ewoks. Um, I think you can tell by looking at the solicitation art uh, which issue uh, deals with which character in which time period. Uh, but uh, the the actual text of the solicitation doesn't uh, tell you that much. The first issue is uh, half off, only a dollar ninety nine at dcbservice dot com. I notice on page one forty nine uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles macro series uh, featuring Michelangelo. Uh, the first issue is forty eight pages, and it's got a cover by David Peterson. Now, Mikey has rarely looked so good. All right, and they're still doing that Transformers animated Star Trek crossover. The Batman The Max by Sam Keith thing is uh, happening on page 153. It's second issue. Um, oh, on page 158, uh, IDW is bringing us a Disney Afternoon series. It's called Disney Afternoon Giant. Uh, the first issue, and I assume future issues as well, if the whole series is called Disney Afternoon Giant, is 48 pages, cover price five ninety nine, And it brings us a classic... Adventures, uh, classic comic stories feature – well, by classic, I mean classic style. I mean I don't think these – these are new comics, new stories. Uh, but they're done in the, uh, in the style of earlier volumes of DuckTales. You know, it, it's not uh, – I mean the IDW is publishing an ad – well, a tie-in comic for the current Disney XD animated series DuckTales, you know, the 2018 version. But uh, this harkens back to the uh, 80s DuckTales. So we'll be getting some 80s-style DuckTales adventures, plus Chippendales Rescue Rangers and Darkwing Duck. So we're getting more Darkwing Duck material, which it began at Boom, it found its way to Joe Books, and now I guess uh, Ian Brill's adventures of uh, the, the terror that flaps in the night have found their way to IDW, and they'll be published in this Disney Afternoon Giant anthology. And so I will uh, definitely uh, give that a look. Um, Pony Report on page 161, a new My Little Pony series, Nightmare Nights. Uh, which is uh, Princess Luna and a few other reformed villains from the uh, world of My Little Pony uh, going to face some new threat to Equestria. And this is written by Jeremy Whitley, uh, whom I will mention again shortly, and uh, with, by artist – art is uh, by Tony Fleeks, who's been kind of an established uh, workhorse, you might say, of the My Little Pony line. And I think that's about – all I, uh, on page 174, I might remind people that the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen miniseries, The Tempest, is reaching its third issue. I don't think there was an issue solicited in last month's previews, but it's back on track here by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. It's going to be the final League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic that Alan Moore says he's going to write. Yeah, I need to catch up. I mean, I, I have all of them. Uh, I don't think I've read much past Black Dossier. Like, if there was the... I think 1969 was a thing. So I, I have was. those. There were a couple featuring Nemo, A Heart of Ice. Yeah, heart, all, yeah. so I need to – I have them, but you have to just sit down and read them. Because well, I haven't quite read up to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Volume 2 yet. Oh. Like the, the, the one published through DC Wildstorm. Right, right, right. So I have to read that before I'm going to move on to any of those other things you mentioned. Absolutely. But yes, I have them all in hand. All right. So now I believe we're going up to Dynamite. All next. right. Dynamite. 
All right, and they're, they're introducing a few interesting new things this month. Um, pages 184 and 185, we've got a new Mars Attack series written by uh, Kyle Starks of Rick and Morty um, with art by Chris Schweitzer, who is a pretty talented artist. Uh, he does uh, – uh, I'm blanking on the name of them right now, but uh, – uh, it's a series – Eric Nolan Wellington will jump in and help me out here because I know he's a big fan of, of this series too. But it's a series of graphic novels featuring members of a single family uh, having adventures in different historical periods. Each of them deals with a different um, like war conflict or like uh, – there was one that had to do with pirates and, but, and they're all very well researched. But of course he's not uh, writing I mean, this uh, Mars Attack series. He's just doing the art, but he's still a pretty talented artist. I'm going to – I'll rhino out the, the, the name of this of, – of the family. OK. But I, it's just not coming to me at this point. All right. Uh, then there's a new KISS series, KISS Blood and Stardust. That's on page 187. On um, page 188 and 189, a new Lone Ranger series written by Mark Russell. And this would be the fellow who uh, gave us that Flintstones right, maxi right, series right. a little while ago and a few other similar projects through DC. So he's a man who's uh, – got a knack for biting satire and here he's throwing in a little bit of uh, history of the American West. He's spinning this whole thing out of the invention of barbed wire and he's somehow getting uh, a Lone Ranger adventure uh, in which Tonto as an American Indian who is uh, a representative of the peoples who are most affected by the parceling out of land into private property in the American West and uh, marking it off with barbed wire. And it's, uh, his perspective on that historical invention will be valuable. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of an interesting angle to take on a Lone Ranger Western adventure. I think I'll probably check it out. And most interesting of all to me, on page 190 and 191, a Rainbow Bright comic <laughs> written by the aforementioned Jeremy Whitley, who's uh, turned in a lot of work for the Pony comics. Uh, he's also a regular at Action Lab Entertainment, where he has a creator-owned series called Princeless. I think he's uh, – we, we've met him. I mean, I'm pretty sure we met him at a, uh, at a New York Comic Con a while ago. There was a little – Jamal Eigel was there too. There was a little event going on at a local comic shop. He might even have been on the show. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. He's been on the show a couple yeah, times. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and I know I'm friends with him on Facebook. So I will definitely check out what he does with Rainbow Bright because he's uh, working at doing a little bit of world building, giving her more of a backstory, a mythology if you will, um, to, to make her a little more than just this uh, – you know, silly uh, toy merchandising character. Uh, yeah, I've always thought that she was a visually interesting character, and uh, I trust Jeremy Whitley to put a little bit of meat on her bones, uh, figuratively speaking. And there's also by Billy Tucci a Miss Fury series, you know, a classic golden age female character, one of the first uh, costumed female heroes in comics and the first to be completely created by a female artist, uh, June Tarp Mills. Um, on page 192 and 193, this is also historically grounded in that it has to do with the, uh, the Nazi Joy Division, which are basically comfort women, you know, Jewish uh, Holocaust uh, victims who were rounded up and forced to service Nazi officers. Um, so uh, this is Miss Fury uh, getting some revenge for them and also rescuing them and giving them a chance to get some revenge for themselves. So it, uh, it's compared to Inglorious Bastards. Uh, by, from, from Tarantino, and uh, so that's written by Billy Tucci of She, and uh, the art is Emma Kubert. And then on page 194, we've got classic Battlestar Galactica number zero for only 35 cents, which is probably going to be down to like 17 cents if you go to dcbs.com. 
Uh, but even if it is full price at DCBService.com, which I know it won't be, it, it's still a heck of a bargain. And it's classic BSG, which I will definitely try. Certainly. I mean, even if it were like two ninety nine, I'd probably pick that up. Uh, on page 196 and 197, we've got a bunch of different uh, Halloween one-shots featuring uh, pop cultural properties that uh, Dynamite owns. We've got Elvira. Uh, we've got Vampirella. We've got Red Sonia, Army of Darkness, and uh, Betty Page. So, interesting spooky reads there. Um, and that's uh, – and Chris already mentioned the uh, James Bond, the body hardcover on page 205. Yeah, 17 cents for that issue. Oh, I guessed right. Thank you very much, dcbservice.com. Um, oh, on page 209, um, Will Eisner's The Spirit Corpse Makers. This is written and drawn by Francesco Francavilla of uh, The Black Coat and also of uh, Archie, Afterlife with Archie. Um, he's... I think I somehow missed ordering a couple of the issues of this miniseries as it was coming out. So now Dynamite is collecting it. So you can see his fantastic, moody, sort of like uh, hard-boiled 50s noir artwork uh, gracing uh, the classic character of the spirit. I think that's all I got for Dynamite. All right, then. Anything for Boom? Um, well, let's see. On uh, page 218, uh, Sparrowhawk number one is... Uh, uh, it's okay. So it's it's kind of a fairy romance story. Um, it's uh, written by Delilah S. Dawson, art by Matthias Basla, and it's half off at DCBService.com. Um, on page two twenty-two and two twenty-three, we've got the story of uh, a young woman who uh, braves uh, the wilds of Los Angeles to make her way in the animation industry. It's called "I Moved to Los Angeles to Work in Animation." <laughs> pretty straightforward. Yep, the title's pretty on the nose. <laughs> But yeah, could be any of you who are thinking of making a similar career move to what she did. Uh, the, the, the lady's name is Natalie Nurigat. Uh You might want to check this out and uh, learn from her experience. I'm sure, it's going to be an entertaining and uh, winsomely told story in its own right as well. Um, I think that's all I had in mind to mention about Boom. However, all right, then on to the rest of the book. The rest of the book. The rest of the book. I'll start out on page 252 with Strangers in Paradise, uh, 25, issue 7, Terry Moore. Uh, I've, I was a little concerned about, because um, sometimes you know, you know you can't go home again is one of the phrases you hear a lot. Like hmm. when Mark Wade came back to the Flash, it just wasn't the same. But Terry Moore, the, he lives these characters. I mean, basically, it's, it's, it's so well done, this series. I'm up to issue 5. The art, the story is so intertwined, uh, it makes my head spin, But because he's bringing back characters he introduced, not only in SIP, but in Echo and Rachel Rising. Oh, really? So he's built a, like a Moore-verse, if you will, sort of. I didn't realize that uh, Rachel Rising and Echo took place in the same world. Oh, yeah. They're referenced back and forth in, in Strangers, and it's just, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, and he limited himself to just 10 issues, which I guess is, is, is good, but... Uh, have no fears if you're thinking of, uh, yeah. Have no fear if you were afraid of him going back to his old uh, stuff. It's like he never left. It's good stuff. Happy to hear it, especially since I haven't ex- fully experienced the old stuff. Yet. Oh, you better get on that. Yeah, one of these days. One of these days. The line is long, you know. The line is long. Heck of a cue. Mm-hmm. 
pages 256 and 257, you know, <laughs> this is Jeremy Whitley month, apparently, because <laughs> I mentioned Prince Less. It's the story of a, a warrior princess, basically, a princess who's determined to save herself and uh, never rely on any prince for anything. Um, so that's entering its seventh volume, as you can see here. The award-winning series returns. Page uh, 270 and 271, um, more spotlight cast on... Uh, of Tom Pyre's uh, Ahoy Comics project, which is a promising uh, new uh, publishing company. Um, you know, I, I talked about uh, their first offerings, High Heaven and The Wrong Earth, uh, by Tom Pyre and Jamal Eigel. I'm especially excited to read that one. Um, this uh, month, we've got Captain Ginger, uh, written by Stuart Moore, art by June Brigman, co-creator of Power Pack. It's about uh, a space pirate who's also a cat. And right below that, Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror. So that's, that's a perfect thing to release uh, in Halloween month. And then that, uh, that Mark Russell guy again. He's <laughs> a, a backup story called Dark Chocolate, which is almost certainly about Count Chocula. <laughs> Bringing the same magic he brought to Flintstones and Snagglepuss, he will now bring to Count Chocula. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he can't refer to him as, as Count Chocula, but it's, the implication is pretty strong that that's what it's going to be, <laughs> and that's, that's a must-read. Plus, just Tom Pyre's uh, take on uh, the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Facts in the Case of M. Vald of uh, Monsieur Valdemar. Um, that's, yeah, a couple of good reasons to buy that. So, yeah, Ahoy Com- uh, there's going to be some good things coming out in the months to come from Ahoy Comics. I just hope that they succeed and their funding doesn't run out okay. because they're they're building this company on some good strong principles and they're turning out what looks to be some very promising material all right well i'm going to jump ahead to page 287 uh archie from archie comics um apparently they're doing the renumbering thing remember a few years ago when it made a big deal they were ending archie and relaunching all new with Mark Wade and mm-hmm. uh, they, and now they're going back to legacy numbering. Apparently, and so this is going to be issue six ninety nine. This now, is not a lesson anyone should learn from Marvel. Archie, <laughs> tisk tisk. So I was really enjoying the Mark Wade series and just recently caught up to, to issue thirty two, and now they're coming six ninety nine. And it looks like uh, this special issue sets the stage for next month's landmark seven hundredth issue of Archie by Nick Spencer and Marguerite Solvage. So I'm not sure Mark Wade's going to be on the book anymore. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. So, again, like I said before, I'm trying to be too uh, you know, cranky, but you know, he's the reason why I started getting Archie. If he's not on it again, yeah. we'll see how it goes. Are you buying the Mark Wade-written Archie 1941? I am not. So he's even reuniting with Brian Augustine. Is uh, the editor and partner in Crime oh, from the Flash. Peter Krause from... Uh, Power of Shazam. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I think I missed the first... Oh, frizzle, 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 frizzle. <laughs> I'm trying to cut down my comments. Pulling you back in. I'm trying to cut down. God darn it. They keep making so many good ones. Well, what do they think that, they that can be debated. Well, <laughs> they're, they're making a lot of the other kind, too. It's, yes. It's true. There's, there, there's just a lot. A lot out there. There certainly is. I'm going to yank us back to page 276 real quick here under American Mythology. Okay. Um, where they are reprinting a little-known classic. Uh, it was apparently a backup story in Korak, Son of Tarzan. Uh, it was written by the late Len Wein with art by Michael William Kaluta. Oh. And it's an adaptation of one of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' lesser novels, Pirates of Venus. And so Carson of Venus, colon, Pirates of Venus is the title under which American Mythology is reprinting this. And it's in full color, and uh, if the little sample we have here of Kaluta's artwork is any indication, it, it 
looks darn good. Now in print for the first time in over 40 years. So if you don't feel like digging through uh, back issue bins for old issues of Korak, Son of Tarzan, to read this, take advantage of this. Thank you, American Mythology. It's a more uh, noble publishing endeavor than most of the things that they do, in my opinion. Oh, yes. And sad crossroads we come to now on page 306. Yep. I wish I could say I had never missed an issue of SpongeBob Comics yet, which is uh, published by uh, Bongo in cooperation with United Plankton Pictures. I've missed two issues out of the 85 issues of the series, <laughs> plus all the uh, supersized summer sw- swim-taculars. Easy for you to say. It, it, is it? Apparently <laughs> <Fair> not. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'll definitely buy issue number 85 because I bought... Almost all the others. And I will also order the final issue, just for closure's sake, of the Simpsons comic yes. series. I used to get that when it first came out, and eventually I, I stopped getting it. But to get the last issue, i, I got to pick that up. Naturally. It's, it's been going on for so long. And good stuff with Bongo. Yep. Try to see it go. I, I am sorry, too. It's always a nice little fun supplement to my reading diet to have some Simpsons and Futurama characters thrown in there. It's kind of surprising to me that uh, they're they're no longer profitable doing that. I mean, I, I kind of thought Simpsons comics sold gangbusters over in Europe, at least. Mm. Okay, on page three twenty, uh, from Daryl Makes Comics, the third original graphic novel in the DMC series. Ah, uh, yes, brought to us from the mind of uh, Daryl McDaniel's of the uh, '80s hip hop group Run DMC. He's the DMC in Run DMC. And it's a story of a kind of an alternate reality uh, early 80s New York City. Um, there have been two other such uh, graphic novels uh, to date, uh, about 100 pages each, and this is the latest in the series. And uh, it, it tells a series of short stories which are nonetheless kind of interconnected. In this reality, uh, Daryl McDaniels did not become a rapper. He instead uh, was like an inner-city school teacher and also a part-time superhero. Uh, in a world where um, superheroes do exist, but they seem to serve the interests primarily of the uh, 1%, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas DMC strives to be a different kind of crime fighter looking out for the rest of the citizenry and also looking into the reasons why uh, the uh, major superheroes seem interested mostly in protecting like rich white people. Um, so that's uh, the third in the series. Um, I've, 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 I have the second one someplace. I've read the first one and found it actually fairly enjoyable. Um, it reminded me a little of the uh, little-remembered and actually, objectively speaking, pretty terrible uh, Hammerman cartoon show on ABC from the uh, – from like 1991, I okay. call it 91. Um, somewhat like that but much better than that. Okay. Yeah, like, well, what if uh, you know, better creative values and more attention had been paid to that concept? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'll be buying the third volume of that. To point out something from Fantagraphics on page 334, okay. The Crumb Compendium uh-huh. by Carl Richter. This is certified cool by previews. Finally, a comprehensive guide to everything Crumb has published during his decades-long career in cartooning. All of Crumb's published work to date, from comics and magazines to book and record covers to merchandise like buttons and T-shirts, as well as listings of articles, interviews, characters, and comic strip titles, are organized into one handy collection. Peppered throughout with illustrations and featuring a splashy color gallery of rare pieces, the Crumb Compendium is an essential text for Crumb fans and scholars alike. Mm. So to scratch your indie comics itch there. A couple of uh, interesting uh, sort of reference volumes, albeit uh, fairly uh, informal ones. On page 346, uh, there's something called an Encyclopedia of Golden Age Superheroes. So it sounds like 
something uh, treating a subject of interest to me. <laughs> and uh, then on page 387, some distance away, um, third in a series of uh, regrettable books from quick books. <laughs> We've seen the League of Regrettable Superheroes and Regrettable Supervillains, uh, both by uh, writer-compiler Jonathan Morris. Now, uh, second bananas get the same treatment. Uh, the League of Regrettable Sidekicks. Some of the silliest and lamest uh, supporting characters from the first few decades of superhero comics. And right on the front cover, I can see Fat Man, sidekick to DC's Tex Thompson, uh, Mr. America, and also Static the Proverb Parrot, sidekick to the Golden Age Airwave. So, and also Frosting the Polar Bear Cub, who I've never even heard of. So there's, I have the first two of those. I, <laughs> I, I cannot do less than to buy the, the third volume, League of Regrettable Sidekicks. Okay, uh, I'm going to jump ahead to uh, Titan Comics uh, on pages, well, from back pages 406 to 409. Uh, the 13th Doctor, getting an ongoing series of Doctor Who with Titan, featuring 13 variant covers. Amongst them, a Katie Cook variant cover right. on page 408. And written by uh, Jody Hauser. Oh, yes, uh, f- forgive me. It's written by Jody Hauser. Illustrated by Rachel Stott and Enrica, uh, Enrica and, oh boy. Angiolini. Thank you. Looks like an all-female creative team for yes. the first female incarnation of the Doctor. Yes. All right, and of course we have to stop on page 422 uh, to give a nod to uh, this month's uh, Tomorrow's offerings. Um, the oh, Back issue number 109, it's the 40th anniversary of the release of the Christopher Reeve Superman movie. And uh, you'll believe a mag can fly in this <laughs> issue uh, celebrating that uh, film release and also touching on a few other entries in the series, including, ooh, Carrie Bates, an unproduced treatment for the fifth Superman movie, and Elliot S. Magan's Superman novel. So it's basically uh, Superman and other media of uh, right. the late 70s and early 80s. Good topic. Hmm. Not an awful lot from Valiant this month. And they're, they're leading off with the fourth issue of a four-issue miniseries on page 423. I mean, it's going to be a very good miniseries, though. It's Britannia. You know, Chris and I are always gushing about this. Uh, written by Peter Milligan. It's a story of a what is basically a detective, you know, a, a clue finder, who's solving mysteries at the behest of the Roman... Uh, of the Roman emperor himself back in the times of ancient Rome. Um, this is the third such miniseries that Valiant has published, and they're always quite good. Um, but, yeah, when that's the first thing they mention, and there's only a couple pages of releases after that. Hmm. Hope Valiant's doing all right. I don't believe I had meant to mention anything after that. Okay. And, you know, the back of the book is usually just kind of a, a wash for me. Well, uh, the back of the book, on page, when you flip it, um, page 118 in the game, that's uh, from Crepozoic, that's where I saw the... DC Comics deck building game rivals Green Lantern versus Sinestro. So I place an order for that. I love me some DC deck building. Well, maybe you'll get a chance to play some of it. I hope so, because uh, there is also a uh, Confrontations expansion, which uh, I think we should play, because uh, you can team up. So hopefully you and I can go battle Danny and Bill. <laughs> Good, instead of you dumping your sewage all over well, me. Well, <laughs> that was a point, So that because I know if I play individually and I play against you, you, you get very, 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 very angry and want to kill me. So <sighs> That old inferiority complex flaring up again, well, you know. I mean, you just gave me the skunk eye last time. I thought I was going to get my foot ripped up. Anyway, it's not why I called. Bill would have stopped me. 
<laughs> I hope so. Doesn't that make you feel better? Oh, sure it does. All right, well, that will wrap it up for this episode of Previews. Once again, this is the Previews for August 2018. I am shipping to stores mostly in October of 2018. And as always, this episode is brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service. You can go to dcbservice.com for all your pre-ordering needs. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send it to comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, you can call 267-702-6642. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at comicgeekspeak. You can visit thecomicforums.vanillacommunity.com, our online discussion forum, where you can give us feedback about this episode and many others of our podcast. Let us know what uh, you are looking forward to from this volume of previews. Respond to our thoughts on uh, the offerings. Uh, or engage in discussions with your fellow CGS listeners and fans about other non-podcast-specific non but still geeky topics. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone who has donated uh, financially to the show uh, over the past several years. We really appreciate it. The show would not be what it is today without your help. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. Fund of. It's not any trouble, you know it's a double you when you hear woo, 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 woo.